0: I perceive there's an explosion of small groups this evening. (laughs) This is not the Super Bowl, for your information. I can tell that uh, some of you are confused, thought this might be the Super Bowl. Because at the Super Bowl, the seats down front are more expensive. So you guys sat in the cheap seats, but that's all right, we're glad you're here like Charles said. Uh, I think it was four years ago when Super Bowl 50 was on and my grandkids were talking about that and 50 Super Bowls and all that. I amazed them. I told them that I had watched every Super Bowl and that amazed them. Anybody that was that old but that wasn't the amazing part, I followed up with the fact that I've watched every Super Bowl, but I have never seen a first half and some of you understand that uh growing up a preacher's kid uh I don't as far as I can remember, I've never seen the first half of a Super Bowl, but uh, we are going to try to get you there for the second half so since it is Super Bowl Sunday. I thought we ought to pick something that tied in. Uh, So I decided I would preach a super sermon. I would just pick the best sermon ever. And this one did not come out of my archives. It's not the best one I ever preached, but it was probably the best sermon ever preached. It's usually called the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5. And I'll encourage you to get your Bible out, and if you don't have one, get the Pew Bible out. Uh, We're going to go through it, kind of summarize it, and I'm going to give you a few things to write down. If you are a fan of writing in your Bible, uh, you can write alongside and have a guide to studying the Sermon on the Mount next time you want to read it. Uh, If you want to write in the Pew Bible, go right ahead and take it home with you. An extra five dollars in the plate next Sunday to pay for it, and we'll be fine. Joking about that, you can use one if you want to. Uh, I I started out with this idea that okay, I'll I'll summarize the Sermon on the Mount. We'll just talk about it and kind of see the overview of it, the big picture. Uh, That might be kind of interesting. And so to prepare for that, I got out some old books and some commentaries and Googled a few sermons on the Sermon on the Mount and all that. And reading through some of those, and some people's commentaries on it and all that, the thing that struck me, the thing that impressed me, was how hard men make simple things. You read all these commentators, and of course that's their job to comment and to give you all sorts of information about things, Uh, but I also found some sermons where guys preached about this stuff. Uh, They make the Sermon on the Mount really hard. One thing they talked about, well, is it one sermon or two? Because Matthew has it one way and Luke has most of it, but a few other things in there. Uh, The account in Matthew chapter 5 starts out, that Jesus went up on the mountain and spoke. The account in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6, it says that Jesus came down to a level place. So some people call it the Sermon on the Mountain, the Sermon on the Plain, uh, but they're so strikingly similar that most people think it's one sermon, but some people argue about maybe it was two, or maybe Matthew just summarized a whole lot of teachings that Jesus taught over his life, and on and on. They make it hard. Uh, found some guys that talked about how, how you view the sermon, and went through. One guy had like nine different views of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Jewish view. What was it? What do they think of it? Uh, The pacifists' view, the pacifists take the one little part about turning the other cheek and make that their whole doctrine. Uh, These days, a common view or a popular view of the Sermon on the Mount is, well, this is the important part. Uh, Out of all the New Testament, this is it. Uh, This is what Jesus taught. This is what he really wanted us to pay attention to. And it's a moral guide. It's a, a guide to how society ought to work. It's a guide to social progress. And if we just live like the Sermon on the Mount and ignore that all the other stuff in the epistles, uh, then we'd get it right. Well, they may not like some of the things in the epistles because it <laughs> disagrees with some of their ideas, but you got to read all of it. It's all God-inspired Word of God. So, uh, But people do worry about those kind of things sometimes, but they make it hard. I think the Sermon on the Mount simpler than that. Uh, back in the business world when I used to have to write memos more often than I do now, uh, I had a pretty simple format. I started out to so-and-so from Steve Tandy. R-E, colon, this is about. And then I wrote a very short memo, if I could. Okay. Well, Sermon on the Mount's like that. It's to the disciples. It says so. It's to the followers of Jesus. Uh, and that's one view of the Sermon on the Mount, is this is moral guidelines for everybody in the world, and all it's good for everybody in the world, uh, it's to his disciples. It's to his followers. It's from Jesus, it says in the first couple of verses. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So it's to the disciples, it's from Jesus, and it's about living in the kingdom. It's about what the kingdom's like. How do you followers of me live in my kingdom? And it pretty well breaks down into some pretty simple divisions that once you think about it that way and go back and read it that way, it makes kingdom life a lot simpler than we make it sometimes. So that's what I want to do tonight is just go through it and give you some sections and tell you what the overview of it. A lot of times the little heading there will tell you Sometimes that's a little misleading, but let's see if we can do that tonight and get the general view of this super sermon. All right, so verses 1 and 2 tell us who it's to and who it's from. Then verses 3 through 12 is a section, and we call it the Beatitudes. That's what it says in your Bible, probably, that little heading The heading is called the pericope, by the way, if you want to get real technical. Uh, The pericope says the Beatitudes. uh, I would call this section happiness. In the kingdom, here's who's happy. This is happiness. And if you don't try to analyze everyone, if you just kind of look at it generally like that, what Jesus says is that humble people, meek people, pure in heart people, merciful peacemakers, they're the happy ones. They're the ones that are blessed. And toward the end, he says, now you're going to be persecuted, and there's going to be people revile you, but you're still blessed. You're still happy. Okay? And that, I don't know how many sermons we could get out of that, but just in the big view, that's what he's saying. That's how he starts his sermon about the kingdom. He says, in the kingdom, here's who's happy. The pure in heart, the humble, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, And that's the happy ones. All right. Verses 13 through 16 in your Bible is probably headed salt and light, and that's a pretty good title for it. Uh, he gives the purpose of of his followers being in the kingdom. Here's how you're happy in the first few verses. Now, what are you here for? What are you in the kingdom for? Well, you're in the kingdom to make a difference. You're salt, you're light, you're different than the rest of the world. The world will see from you, uh, they will be flavored by you, the world will be different because of my followers. Verses 17 through 20, he talks about he's come to fulfill the law. Okay. Now, the people he were, was talking to were raised on the law. They thought that was what they were supposed to follow. And he said, well, that's, that's coming to an end. I'm here to fulfill that. Now, the, he, he was explaining that the kingdom's different than the Old Covenant. Uh, I mentioned earlier that the Jewish view of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, if you ask a, a Orthodox Jew to explain what the Sermon on the Mount's about, uh, I think their position, from what I've read, is that Jesus was just reinforcing the law. He didn't want to take it out of the way, he was just reinforcing it. And all this other stuff about Christianity being different and the law being taken away and all that, that was Paul that caused all that trouble. But Jesus was just reinforcing the law. He was a prophet. He wasn't the Messiah, but he was a prophet, and he's saying the law is still here. It's not going to pass away. Well, we can study a lot longer on that and have a sermon about that sometime, but he says, no, I'm here to fulfill it. Everything in it's coming true in me. We read the rest of the Gospels and he says, I'm the way now. Not by following the law, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except through me. So he tells them he's going to fulfill the law. Okay. Verses twenty one through forty eight, it's a long, longer passage. Uh, What I call that, and you've got a bunch of different headings about anger and lust and divorce and all that, that whole section, I think, 21 through 48, if you're marking your Bible, I would call that real morality. He's explaining to them, since he's come to fulfill the law, and they're in the kingdom now, and they're supposed to be salt and light, but here's what real morality is about. And if you want to summarize that whole section, I guess, uh, he's saying the heart of the the problem is the problem of the heart. You've had all these old laws, and you've focused on them, and you think, okay, if I don't murder somebody, if I don't commit adultery, the act of adultery, uh, if I do this and do that, uh, then I'm okay with God. And Jesus said, no, real morality is deeper than that. It's a heart thing. And so he goes through a number of key examples, uh, like anger. That starts out, and he says, you've heard, uh, not murder. Well, he says the problem's not just not killing somebody. The problem's being so angry that you want to kill somebody. So anger's the real problem. And he does that on lust and uh the other things he talks about there, about retaliation, taking revenge, uh honesty, he talks about oaths, he says no. Just be honest. If you're a follower of mine, if you're in the kingdom, if you want to be salt and light, just be honest. And they had a system of oaths that they had made up that if you swear by this, it counts, if you swear by this, it doesn't count. So you could swear by the temple and you could swear by the altar and you could swear by Jerusalem and all that. And Some of them were more serious than others. And Jesus said, don't try to do all that. Just be honest. You say yes, you mean yes. If you say no, you mean no. That's how a follower of mine practices real morality. He talks about taking revenge. He talks about loving uh, even your enemies. So he talks about this heart change that his followers ought to have. All right, chapter 6, the first eight verses, uh, no, the 18 verses, uh, what I call that section is practical religion, okay, practical religion. He's talked about being salt and light. He's talking about what really makes makes us happy. He's talking about what real morality is. And now he gets around to this religion thing. And the two examples he uses, about, well, three actually, he talks about giving and praying and fasting. Okay. Now, if you lived in his day, religion was shown, was an outward thing. You showed it by giving and making sure everybody knew what you were giving. You prayed where everybody could hear you and made a long, lengthy prayer at certain times of prayer. And you fasted. When you fasted, you made sure everybody knew you were fasting. You moped around and looked like you were about to die. And if somebody asked you what was wrong, you said, oh, I've been fasting for the Lord. And he said, okay, that's religion the way you've been seeing it, that's not the way my followers do it. When they give they don't let other people know. They don't even let their right hand know what their left hand's doing. They they give for the the joy of giving not to be seen. Praying, he said he gets real specific there about not praying just to be seen. And he gives an example. He said religious people today, that's what they do. They Verse uh, 5 there, I think it is, uh, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Uh, I've read that the Pharisees and others then uh, wore their prayer tassels and their uh, phylacteries on their head and all of that to show how religious they were. And there were so many times of prayer a day, and they kind of watched the sundial for when it was time for that, and they wanted to be close to a busy intersection. And then they could say, oh, it's time for prayer. Leave me alone, i got to pray. And then they'd pray this long, lengthy prayer, so everybody would watch them and say, whoa, that guy's religious. Uh, Then Jesus throws in a few funny little lines every once in a while. He says, if that's what they want, they've got their reward. If they're doing it to be seen of men, then they've got their reward. That's the only reward they're going to get. So you, when you pray, uh, close the door. Pray to your Father in secret. Don't make a big deal out of it. Don't do it to be seen. Same thing with fasting. When you're fasting... Uh, Wash your face, go out and act like things are normal. Don't do it for show. So I called that section, those, those few verses 1 through 18, practical religion. Here's how you really do religion. It's a personal thing. It's not a for show thing. Okay, verses 19 through 34, I called it practical life because he talks about two really important things in life. One is about treasures, and the other one is about anxiety. And your little head say that. Lay up treasures in heaven and don't be anxious. In life, there's a couple of things that get people in trouble. Well, there's a lot of things that get people in trouble. But material things really get people in trouble. Jesus talked about that almost more than he talked about anything else. It's always struck me that the people he was talking to about beware of material things were people that didn't have any material things compared to us. They lived in a mud house maybe or a tent. They had one pot to cook dinner in. They might have had a table, they might not. They had... One change of clothes, maybe. One pair of sandals. They didn't have much. And yet still, when these crowds came to him, Jesus warned them, he said, you beware of material things. Material things will get your heart. And you ought to be laying up treasures in heaven. This is real life now. Don't get hung up on material things. And then he says, don't worry. Don't be anxious about life. And we know the difference. We talked about that some this morning about psychiatrists and stuff. Uh, Anxiety wrecks a lot of people. They worry about every little thing and whether this is going to work or not. And he says, if you're in the kingdom, God's going to take care of you. If you're a follower of mine, God knows what you need. You know, ask him for it when you pray, but don't worry about every little material thing, and certainly don't worry about every little thing in your life. Uh, that's how you live life. Okay, chapter 7, last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I called verses 1 through 12. I, I call that human relations. I don't mean the HR department, I mean human <laughs> relations. How you get along with people. So he tells his followers in this little section, number one, don't be so judgmental. It's not your job to police everybody else. You've got your own problems. He tells the story about the famous speck in your eye, brother's eye, and the plank in yours, and all of that. Oh, you just take care of yourself. And don't be judgmental of everyone. See, that's what they were used to in the religion of the day. And if we could put ourselves in that scene, this makes a whole lot more sense. Because he's telling his followers how this is different. The, The religious people of his day, to the people he was talking to on that mount, The religious people, that was what they did, was go around and judge everybody. They made their list of rules and regulations. And they said, if you don't do this, you're in trouble. If you do this, you're okay. If you don't do this, you're in trouble. They had rule after rule after rule. When we've talked about uh, the Old Testament, we've talked about that. uh, Some about how the, the rabbis just kept putting bigger fences around things. They didn't want somebody to break a law, so they said, well, we'll draw the fence out a little bigger, then they won't get close to breaking the law. Well, if they get close to that fence, they're in danger, so let's build a little bigger fence. And let's just make it harder and harder to break a law. Well, what they did was make it harder and harder. what did Jesus say about it? They've laid on you, burdens, I think Paul said this actually, they've laid on you Burdens that you can't bear. They've made the yoke so heavy that you can't bear it. So they specialized in judging, and Jesus said, Don't be judgmental. I know that verse 1 there in chapter 7 is the favorite verse of the world these days Judge not. That's where they stop. Judge not. Which means, in today's language, you can't tell anybody they're wrong about anything. It's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about not being judgmental and watching everybody else and looking for every little speck in their eye. That's how you get along with people. Don't be judgmental. And secondly, he says, God will take care of you. He asks for things. He'll give them to you. And then he finishes with the golden rule there at the end of verse uh, 12 and on. He said, treat people like you'd like to be treated. Pretty simple, isn't it? Uh, This is how you get along with people. Don't be so judgmental. Ask God for what you need. Treat people like you want to be treated. Verse 13 through 27, he's wrapping up his sermon And he starts to get a little more serious here, maybe. I don't know if you can get more serious than explaining how to live life as a Christian. But he begins to talk about the biggie. He begins to talk about salvation. And he's telling them how it works in the kingdom. And so some of this is a little bit scary to some folks. In fact, some people don't like this part of it because he says in verse 13, he says that there's two gates. And once you get through the gates, he said there's two ways. And that's all he says there are. There's two gates. And one leads to heaven, and one doesn't. And one is really broad. It's easy to get in. Now there's, not much qualifications. There's. It's not like going through TSA. You can carry anything through you want. Nobody's going to check you. You just walk through. Believe in pretty much anything you want. And once you walk through, the way is broad. There's lots of lanes. You, you can drive in any lane you want. And what's the world say today? Exactly that. Yeah, okay, you're in that lane. Well, you can get to heaven that way. I'm in this lane. I can get to heaven that way. Jesus says, no, there's two gates. There's two ways. And later he goes on to specify that I am the gate. I'm the door. You've got to go through me to get on the right path. Okay? A lot of people today don't buy that story. But Jesus said for his followers, he's warning them that you've got to go through the right gate and then you've got to stay on the narrow path. And his main picture here is that there's a whole lot of people who go on the broad way and not many go on the narrow way. Remember at the first when he was talking about happiness, he said, you do these things, you'll be happy, but you'll be persecuted because you're going to be different. You're not going to be like everybody else. So he says there's two gates, two ways. And then he gives a little warning about false prophets. He said there's going to be a whole lot of people trying to talk you into getting on the broad way. Beware of them. You know, my words are truth. You know what I say. And then he finishes up by saying, and here's a really scary part, because remember who he's talking to? He's not talking to the world. He's talking to disciples. He's talking to people who call themselves believers. And he says, I want to warn you that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter in. The world doesn't go with that story these days either, of pretty much... The idea of the world today is the Christian world, especially if you're in the Christian ministry of some sort, if you're doing something good and you say you believe in Jesus, then say, okay. This is a scary warning. He says, not everybody that calls me Lord, Lord is going to enter in. And then he goes on and makes it even more specific he says on judgment day they're going to argue I don't know if you ever thought about that how the arguments are going to work but he says they're going to argue I'm going to tell them I don't know you and they're going to say hold it we did all these things in your name we served you we did these wonderful things he's going to say I never knew you you didn't enter the right gate. You didn't walk on the right path. And then he wraps the whole thing up by saying, you followers of mine, you've got to build your house on a rock. You build it on the truth. You build it on me. And he tells the the parable about somebody that built it on the right thing, on the rock, and their house withstood everything, and the one that built it on the sand didn't. Didn't think of that, Charles. We should have sung that song tonight. But he says, you build your house on the rock. Now, that wraps up his sermon. And I hope in that very quick trip through the Sermon on the Mount, you can see uh, not just what he's talking about, but how simple this really is. Now, there's a couple more verses, and it says, When he finished, the crowds were astonished. They were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. And that makes us realize how different this is, how different this teaching was from what they had all heard. What had they heard all their life? There's all these rules and regulations and these fences, and if you do this, I'm gonna—you've been judged, and you're in trouble, and this isn't right, and that's wrong, and on and on and on. And Jesus says, "Here's how life in the kingdom is. If you have a heart like this, you'll be happy. You're supposed to make a difference in the world." Real morality is a matter of the heart. Religion isn't for show. Practical life is not worrying about material things and not being anxious about everything. You get along with people by not being judgmental and treating them by the golden rule. How simple is all that? Hey, can you see how they were astonished? I mean, a scribe, a Pharisee could have spent days <laughs> explaining the law of oaths. Could have spent weeks explaining what was adultery and what wasn't adultery. And Jesus, in this little short time, explains here's what life in my kingdom's like. And when he got done, they were astonished. If we get that, maybe we won't make it so hard. Because it's simple. Now, when I say it's simple, I did not say it's easy. Now, that's two very different things. There's a lot of things in life that are simple, but they're not easy. So, I imagine there's a person or two in here that at some point in their life has tried a diet. Dieting is simple, folks. You just eat the right things. That's not hard. It's Not easy. <laughs> but it's simple. Yeah. So, so Jesus says, you want to know what life in the kingdom about? Here it is. I don't know how I thought about reading the sermon out loud just to see how long it would last. In fact, I thought about just doing that tonight, just reading the sermon to you. And then I knew when I got done, nobody could say, well, that was too short. You should have preached longer. No, this is the best sermon ever. (laughs) It doesn't take long to go through that, is what I'm trying to say. It's it's very, very simple, life in the kingdom. All right, I hope that helps you. And to really help you, take what you've written down or marked up, go home and read the Sermon on the Mount that way instead of trying to figure out every little verse and what it means. Just, Just look at the big picture. And see that life in the kingdom is simple. We're here tonight with a group of people that are, I think, all in the kingdom. And as far as we can tell, all walking on the right path. But we always extend the invitation. If there's somebody here that needs something from this family, we want you to have the chance to do that. So Brother Charles is going to come and lead a song. If you need to come, come to the front. Let's stand.